that when you think about why is innovation important, why does it matter? Sustainability is that key horizontal trend. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. On today's episode, we are talking to Brian Komiski. He is the director of thematic programs at the Consumer Technology Association. And today is a day of celebrations. Hi, Akish. Hello. How are we you? hit a thousand followers on Spotify. I have no idea if that's good or not, to be perfectly honest, but it feels like it's a. I mean, it's, it needs to be celebrated. Do you know what I mean? Do we do we get a green play sign or do we get something sent over? To I don't, I don't think so. I don't. No, <laughs> so we get something. No, no. Okay. I mean, it feels it feels like I've been googling. Is like what's the average number of followers per podcast on Spotify? I know yeah. that we were, we were, we were last year yeah. we were one of the top ten percent most followed podcasts Perfect. globally and top five percent most shared. Yeah, we've since grown by several hundred followers. Mm. So I'm like, well, where does that put us now? I'm not really sure. But Very um, good. Yeah. to everyone who's actually physically hit subscribe on Spotify, mm. thank you. If you listen on Apple. Well, there's a lot that do well thank you uh, mm. and google well i don't know if many people do that but also thank you and if you've ever asked for it on amazon alexa well you're probably one of only two or three people but nonetheless well done you are we available on amazon alexa oh yeah if you ask alexa to play tech talks but is that what we say alexa play tech talks uh, yeah uh, no, i no I've, I've, i haven't got alexa i've got um what have i got um google home play google i imagine play. it works i mean we're, we're on amazon music we're on google we're on spotify yeah. we're on apple so I, i'd imagine so yes okay i'm gonna try that tonight and i'm gonna record it and see if it plays <laughs> okay, i don't it. know about google home but I, I will prove it to you i will prove that you, you can ask alexa if you want and yeah uh, oh, send mate, it to you. that's amazing oh, there we go <laughs> uh, whosever house i go into before i leave i'm just gonna say just gonna make it play alexa play tech talk see you later bye and then leaving my voice running <laughs> <laughs> right uh let's get into today's um podcast episode the interview as i said it's with brian from the cta and we're talking about tech themes today i'm joined by brian brian you work at the cta before we go any further do you just want to introduce yourself and tell us exactly what you do for the organization of course thanks dave um, i'm brian komiski i'm the director of thematic programs at the consumer technology association um, and really what my job is, is to keep track of the latest emerging trends in the technology sector and do the best to synthesize them together to understand where we're headed um, as a society. And when we talk about thematic programs, then I, I suppose that then probably takes the form of tracks at CES, um, which you were talking about or looking forward to, at least when we met uh, FD Day in Paris. How many tracks do you think there are in the industry right now that people are particularly excited to hear about? Yeah, of course. Um, well, I guess that's a, a good question, too, about what thematic programs means in this case. Uh, for, so for my role, it's a, a pair of items. One is we actually have worked in partnership with NASDAQ for more than a decade to develop thematic stock indexes that track specific technology themes. So if you want a, an investment vehicle in cybersecurity or artificial intelligence, we're making those indexes behind it. The second thematic program is exactly what you're talking about, which is identifying what those thematic tracks are at CES. And I mean, I would argue that themes are limitless. Uh, you know, there's 
overarching ones. There's 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 sub trends to all this, but I, I think in when we were talking about FD Day, what I was focusing on was around probably probably fourteen to fifteen different trends um, and how they're all coming together really to you know create one really connected world. And yeah, look, your talk there, you broke it down into three areas: how the world's changing, what's next for the consumer. And why does innovation matter? And you said they're kind of 13, 14, 15 different, different tracts uh, all coming together and converging. I suppose that's a big part of how the world is changing. What do you see as being the kind of the key takeaways for any audience when they're thinking about actually how technology is impacting society? Yeah, well, I think convergence is, is the key word as always, right? Which is Innovation and technology's advancement doesn't occur in a vacuum. It's not one silo. They all are working together off of one another to ensure that you know each one informs how the other continues to break through. And so when we think about where that's shaping up, when you think about what, how is the world changing, one of the, the key takeaways is we're in a stronger digital world than we've ever been. And a lot of that is this, this sort of connection between where I was talking about was cloud computing, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, all create this effective backbone of a scalable, secure, and um, efficient enterprise uh, digital world. And how does that connect with 5G and Li-Fi, these connectivity solutions that allow us then to be doing exactly what we're doing right now, right? We're doing a remote podcast after doing it in person, we're able to do this seamlessly in this hybrid environment. You can't do that without the convergence of all this technology to form a digital world. That's really like when we talk about the new normal, that is what the new normal is. It's this stronger digital environment with a lot of hybrid capability. You talk about a stronger digital environment. It's also arguably more diverse than ever. You talked about the fact that there are 4.8 billion people online and that a further 1 billion would be online by 2027 when you sort of been in Paris. 90% of those are Gen Z um, in emerging markets. What do, they, what do these people want? You know, how is that pushing industry in terms of the direction? Yeah, of course. And so I think that that's, uh, I'm really glad you brought up those stats because when I think about this, right, like, but what I talk about is how is this even happening in the first place, which is first smartphones have been this key technology that allow internet connectivity across a variety of environments. And the other element of that is actually 5G. So when I talk about people coming online more than ever in these emerging markets, 5G has been propelling that forward. If you look at Nigeria and Cameroon, they're some of the leading oper um, adopters of 5G in Africa, for example. That's really where you're seeing so much growth in that sector. And when you Look, take a step back and you think, all right, well, what's maybe the differences in terms of technology usage? A lot of that is connecting to markets for the first time. Um, one of my favorite stats is, up, I think, up until like 2016, but for a considerable amount of years, Kenya was the leader in the world in terms of digital payments, a technology that you know the United States, that Europe have been using significantly for some time in recent years, but it was really pioneered in Africa in a lot of ways to get that connectivity to markets. Um, I know in our conversation at FDE Day, I was talking about Brazil a lot and, and Argentina where really FinTech has been an environment of, well, how do they conduct commerce? Um, when there was the, the meta outage, a lot of people were lamenting that, and rightfully so, we're in a more social media heavy environment that Facebook and Instagram 
were down, but for Latin America, WhatsApp was down as a result. And that's where a ton of commerce takes place. So when you think about it, where that's a messaging app for a lot of us that we're using when we were on the ground in uh, Europe last week for the events, or two weeks ago, I should say, for other folks, that is, that's their commerce sector. And then, I mean, Asia has been a pioneer of that, which is that kind of that super app model where everything all in one feature seamlessly between streaming, fintech services, healthcare, all in one app. So in a lot of ways, they've pushed for that greater connectivity and online factors uh, because it's been a necessity to be a part of the overall market. One other thing that I wanted to then just pick up upon you mentioned about a more secure world and i think um correct me if i'm wrong but you had grouped cloud and ai and cyber together when giving your talk as as being necessities rather than luxuries any conversation about how the world is changing right now can't really take place without sustainability being part of that conversation especially i mean christ in between us talking in paris and and us recording today we've had the devastating weather in new york kind of climate events are becoming more prevalent what consideration is there to the carbon footprint of the technology industry especially if these things are necessities rather than luxuries and they're going to become more prevalent yeah of course and i think that's that's one of the most important conversations in in general that um, in a, you know my presentation I was trying to drive home that when you think about why is innovation important, why does it matter? Sustainability is that key horizontal trend. And I say horizontal very intentionally. Like we, when we talk about why is AI such a big buzzword right now, it's because it impacts so many different industries. Well, sustainability innovation is a key area in that regard as well, where it's going to have to be a consideration in all forms of innovations across each vertical. So how does that shape when you talk about digital utilities where AI is causing a lot of water consumption? How do you do that with data centers? And so one of my favorite pieces was actually at CES 2021, our, our actually a remote CES that we did a few years back, Microsoft made a major announcement about pivoting towards underwater data centers. And when you shift to that sort of form of how you're consolidating your data, you're cooling uh, a lot cheaper without having to put so much energy into cooling a lot of these these tools. Because as I've said uh, previously, they're digital utilities. They're no longer technological options. They're required if you want to have this hybrid environment. We can't do a podcast like this. We can't do online education without these tools. So, um, and then, and, and I'll have to follow up. I know off the top of my head, and I'm trying to remember the exact stat, but there was by IDC in the last year, a study that showed that cloud computing actually can reduce emissions at a greater rate than physical computing if developed responsibly. And so that is kind of the, the natural pivot, right? Where it takes a lot, if you have physical data centers on premise, that's a lot of heat going in, that's a lot of energy. So that's where cloud computing, hopefully by consolidating into different instances of computing where you don't have to have it on continuously, can start being a little bit smarter about resource usage. So it's a combination of how do you innovate by building underwater data centers, so you're actually building something new, or how are you just adapting your practices in terms of, well, let's be more efficient about when we dial up our data instances, our infrastructure instances, and when we don't need it, we don't need to have it on, right? The idea of we don't always have to be on all the time, and that's a practice change. So when you think about what disruption means, what adaptation means, disruption is completely changing 
what you know about an, an area versus adaptation is, well, how do you just adjust to the realities of the world? So it's a bit of both right now, and it's going to be a key feature to all of it. We are, I suppose, as consumers learning, and certainly the message that we don't always need to be on is, is one that, that certainly I think needs to be um, shouted for people to, to understand. However, consumers are always looking for new trends. You talked earlier about Asia and the trend for a super app. I think that's quite interesting because my phone is filled with apps that I very rarely open. Um, you also talked about the fact that um, we are moving beyond Gen AI. One of the stats that really jumped out at me was that sentiment, consumer sentiment for, for artificial intelligence and its, its deployment and usage seems to be a lot further ahead in the US than Europe. Why is that? You know, I kind of think of, of a global marketplace and technology being fairly kind of borderless these days. So that, that stood out. Yeah, of course. And so I think it's about how innovation is diffused um, when, where it starts. And when you think about what gender of AI is, a lot of the innovation that's allowed such creative applications of AI to happen in the first place comes from what are called large language models, LLMs. Um, so these transformers is really what allows just so much about the computing to be accelerated to a higher level. That's where that creative nature um, of what we're finally discussing with generative AI. It's no longer, oh, I'm just filling in data sheets. It's the idea of, can I create something entirely new? I don't need to conduct uh, you know, 100 experiments when I can have generative AI simulate effectively in a virtual environment the same type of experiments to advance scientific inquiry further. When we go back to these large language models, a lot of them are in English. That's where a lot of the development has occurred, at least stateside, and pushing that forward. Um, and that's part of the story uh, I was talking about on FD Day, where France, for example, has the they're almost on par in terms of optimism of when they think they feel the impact of AI compared to the United States. And a lot of that ha starts from the top down, where you had President Macron announcing half a billion euro investment in France into AI champions. And part of that is to develop French large language models that can allow that innovation to happen on the ground. Um, and then in Korea, there's actually a similar story right now where the Korean government has is working with private enterprise to develop Korean language first large language models. Because when you think about generative AI, it's quite creative, but you have to make sure that it's also recon recognizing the markets to which it is coming from that is actually adapting to the cultural, social expectations of, of who the innovation is for. Because at the end of the day, um, one of the things I was driving home for what's next for the consumer is this sort of human-centric innovation. And I think that's why the U.S. is just maybe right now a little bit more optimistic because there's just a keener sense of a, lot, a few American companies have really driven forward where open AI being situated stateside has made something that's quite tangible in chat GPT to consumers. But I said beyond Gen AI, I'm going to you know step back overall from AI for a second and say that Generative AI is just a portion of the artificial intelligence story. We've seen so many innovation hype cycles going back to the 70s when AI was first being talked about. So really, this is just another facet to something that goes from the chips themselves that power it all the way to the robots that you see in your daily life. AI is very horizontal in that regard. You mentioned there Macron, France. Obviously, we were there for, for FD Day. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the European Green Deal. Um, highlighting increasing investment in, in green 
um, energy and renewables. How is that translating to consumer behavior? Because I suppose that loops back to our earlier point, perhaps about realizing that we don't always need to be on. And it's interesting to see how some of those regulatory um, decisions might be trickling down into the way that people think about technology. Yeah, well, I think sustainability. Um, so we did some research ahead of the of the conference to talk about, well, how do the, how do consumers view sustainability, especially at that, that's such a good inflection point of how they view technology, how do they view their own impact? And our, our research found that this is a priority area for European markets. Um, you know, we'll stick with France uh, for the example, because we were just coming from FD Day. They had the greatest ownership and purchase intent around smart plugs in Europe in our surveyed markets, um, which, you know, smart plugs are really good at, for energy management. And so there's a sustainable impact. To be frank, there's also a cost measurement impact, because if you are more conscious around your energy usage, you are going to reduce your bills. So there's a combination here of addressing climate change, but also in France, where you have macro conditions like inflation and some um, some other um, headwinds in the macroeconomic environment, you are going to see that focus there. And smart plugs is not surprising that that was the, the main area, especially in France, where they were leaders on uh, when you have energy firms like Schneider Electric that are based there. But I think that's just the purchasing habit to devices themselves. But we actually found that nearly half of French consumers made a technology purchase within the last year based on sustainability. And across the markets we surveyed, the UK, France, Netherlands, more over 65% in each of those countries identified sustainability as important in their technology purchasing decisions. So it's clearly become a priority area for the consumer as well. I, there's a recognition. It's, it's not necessarily about always being on or, you know, maybe being on less. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's that. I think it's just an expectation from consumers that they now expect their technology to be innovating and thinking about these conscientious choices around sustainability like they are. The last point that I wanted to touch on, um, you, you talked about why does innovation matter? And you talked about the kind of the diffusion of innovation. Um, I'm going to perhaps inelegantly try and stitch two points together. So, so bear with me. But today in the papers, I saw that Tom Hanks had come out and said, there's a dental advert out there that is not me. Um, this is deepfake technology. It's AI. It has nothing to do with me. But nonetheless, there is a dental advert out there that uh, would appear to have Tom Hanks in it. And he talked a lot about human securities on FT Day. Um, the idea of digital citizenship and the use of blockchain. Where does innovation need to come from to keep pace with the industry? Is it coming from is it coming from consumers themselves? Is it coming from technology? Is it coming from uh, regulatory bodies and governments to make sure that the best of technology is allowed to thrive without undermining trust in technology? Yes. No, uh, so in all seriousness, I think it's a combination of everything. Uh, it always is. I, I think at CTA, we've always believed in regulation, but regulation that doesn't hinder innovation in that regard. And so how do you do that? You have to convene as many groups of people together to, to look at innovation responsibly. And that's starts with government uh, bodies as well as private industry, and then making sure that, I mean, I work in a research department that tr does its best to track consumer sentiment around technologies. The stats I'm highlighting here come from surveying consumers themselves. So how do you combine that all together to start to paint 
what is maybe that ground truth around the perception of innovation and what how technology can solve challenges, but also in a responsible way. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned blockchain, uh, for example, because I think uh, blockchain technologies, sometimes people just associate only with cryptocurrencies, um, but it's really about verified um, ledgers in a lot of ways. At its end of the core, it's you can prove exactly who had ownership of something or was involved in that. It's the concept of provenance, if you're familiar with like kind of art purchasing in a lot of ways. And so I think that starts to create a little bit more of a secure chain of not just financial technologies, but really it could underpin a lot of contract and advert tech where you know who exactly at any point is associated with um, an advert or with a technology. And it can go back to the source. You can actually know who created it. Um, So there's some utility there. But I think AI and deep fakes is obviously, the I think, the most probably biggest topic du jour of or really the last year in a lot of ways. How do you create a standard and a framework to ensure that you're not having folks, you know, have their image or their likeness used in a way that they don't want? And so what I've been impressed, at least CTA's work here is we have a, an AI working group on, on set that's helping develop the standards around artificial intelligence technology. But we also have a responsible AI working group that we've been working on here that's trying to create those guardrails around innovation in a way that brings, again, together all of these parties to ensure that we're when we're creating innovation, when technology is happening, which it's going to happen regardless, how do you do it in a way that can prevent misuse and get to the core, which is why does innovation matters? It's supposed to cr- make our lives easier. It's supposed to improve our living, whether it be more sustainable or more efficient. It really is supposed to be a solution uh, generating uh, effort. Look, it's your job to stay ahead of the industry and to try and tell your 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 members, your your um, your colleagues, your clients where we're heading. So, where are you going to be spending your time come January? Um, well, I'll be spending my time come January uh, like I always do, which is uh, and uh, I think folks know this frantically walking like every (laughs) uh, path on the show floor. But I think I'm going to spend, if we're talking about what I'm always looking forward to personally, is I think I'm going to spend some time in North Hall, in particular, looking at what's going on in health. Um, The rapid advancement from kind of just the smart wearables that you wear on your wrist to we had seizure detecting glasses last year for epilepsy, right? That leap uh, from when I started tracking CES um, casually as an observer about a decade ago is phenomenal. And that's just 10 years. What happens in the next few years, I think that's personally where I like to go um, and see exactly what therapeutic areas. But I also say don't miss West Hall where mobility advancements are going to be key. Central Hall where so much in gaming and display technologies. And then and, and this is uh, my wife joined me for the first time ever last year at the show. Um, and she uh, really took to Eureka Park where all of our startups go and showcase really just that from that smallest business level where innovation is occurring. And it's a global, global park. So every innovation across every corner of the globe is there. Um, so if you're going to see me, I'm going to be probably everywhere, but I'm going to be spending some time in North Hall in Eureka Park. Uh, di- in particular. Di- diplomatic, but at the same time, North Hall is a, uh is obviously going to be something quite interesting in terms of the direction. Look, it's been a pleasure to speak to you again, Brian. Uh, thank you very much for your time. And uh, fingers crossed we get an opportunity to, to catch up again and, and see where we've leapt to next.
I hope so. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Dave. And yeah, hope to see you in January. Right, Keisha, I've got some spoilers. Because mm-hmm. in the interview, Brian talks about sustainability. Mm-hmm. What is happening in the next few weeks? Uh, ESG. No, come on. No. What's the biggest thing that we release as a business? Oh, our uh, CEO survey. Digital leadership report. Digital. Oh, fuck come on, hell. branding, mate. Jesus. Right, cut, <laughs> it's cut a good thing out. no one internally listens. Right, fucking hell. Cut this out. Cut this out. Mate, mate no, no, no. I've got to get this right, Dover. You've got to cut it out. Hey, Keish, what, what, what are we releasing in a couple of weeks? Our digital leader survey in its 25th year. <laughs> absolutely it's our dlr and it's 25th year uh and look i've got some spoilers i probably shouldn't say this but again no one internal listens so um here's here's a stat from the survey before it's being published and actually we shouldn't be joking around because this i think this is this is terrible and it's mm. genuinely terrible just under half 46 percent of all digital leaders surveyed said they had sorry that their organization had no plan in place to reach net zero and that's 28 includes 28 percent of digital leaders answering on behalf of publicly owned companies 46 percent no plans to reach net zero brian's going on about sustainability and how big a theme it is in technology you know the cta hundreds of thousands of members and yet 46 percent of leaders don't have a plan to reach net zero that's shocking It's, it's shocking it's crazy. It's crazy. But KPMG released a um, they re- released a white paper. I think a few months ago. I also put it on LinkedIn. But they said uh, they said a lot of uh, so so the banking world um, they're all under regulations to meet um, their sort of net zero or sustainability targets by 2025, and about 82% of them haven't even started yet. So it's it's ridiculous. Like the the amount of I guess, yeah, just the amount that people are behind, organisations are behind. Yeah. So, yeah. And it doesn't help when we've got a clusterfuck of a government who's then pushing it back and making it feel like it's not necessarily a priority. It massively is, mm. and yet more, more action is needed. More action mm. is needed. And it's good to hear, at least from the CTA's point of view, that there is a groundswell of action and, and, and listening to Brian's comments. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what debate comes on the back of the DLR because net zero is a big piece uh, within the trends and topics this year. Um, mm. There needs to be more action. There probably needs to be more scrutiny. It also, I'm looking forward to it because hopefully it's it will be something a little bit more different than a little bit more different, a little bit different than um, just AI and data. I mean, that's in there too. I mean, yeah. it will be, but I want to <laughs> I want to read about something else. Different. Give me something else, yeah. Give you something different. Yeah. There we go. Uh, I did say it's an episode of Celebration. I talked about our thousand followers um, and, and Amazon Alexa and all that. Uh, but yesterday, Suki Fuller won the accolade of most influential woman in the UK technology industry, according to Computer Weekly. Um, so congratulations to Suki. Akish, you were there. Did you enjoy the event? I was there. It was a very, very good event, yeah. Um I was at the one last year as well, and mm-hmm. I think just the way they do it, the way they present it, um, the conversations that you can have. I mean, I've I've rarely been to an event where there's like a breakout session in between, like an award type thing, and mm-hmm. you know, we we heard a lot about things around um, diversity and inclusion not being, you know, just at the the side of the table, right? Like yep. organizations actually embracing it. Um, 
we heard a lot of stuff around data, around actually reporting of metrics and data when it comes to our DNI efforts, yeah. and um, also at senior management level to be um, bonused on it, you know, or yeah. have that as a metric that makes up your bonus. So I wonder how many senior leaders will be hearing this in their ears and going, oh bloody hell, you know. Um, well, you know, so, someone who might, because I walked up to her at the end and I said, "Hi, I'm, I'm David. I I run a podcast." Suki turned around and went, well, I know, I recognise your name. I know about your podcast. So, mate, we're famous. Wow. Most so influential woman the in the most, UK tech sector knows about us. The most influential person knows about a couple of numpties that talk about tech. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry. I'm doing, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm doing you a massive disservice there, aren't I? I'm sorry. No, probably, it's probably I'm fair. Sorry. It's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, look, huge congratulations, Suki. Um, huge congratulations as well, actually, to the 652 people that were nominated and mm. then obviously everyone who made the long lists and short lists but yeah mm. amazing amazing achievement uh we will be back on tuesday next week akish thank you for your time thank you